Thanks for joining the Church at Nolensville Sermon Podcast. We exist to engage the whole person with the whole gospel of Jesus Christ. Anytime, anywhere, with anybody. Well, good morning and welcome to the Church at Nolensville. If you're new, if you're a guest, my name is Wade Owens. I'm the campus and teaching pastor here, and we hope you feel welcomed and loved and a part of our family already. What's happening through the ministry of our church is so much larger than this room, if you didn't know. In fact, you're a part of something happening across all of Middle Tennessee that is impacting thousands of people. We have eight campuses across Middle Tennessee through the Brentwood Baptist family of churches, and we are one of them, and I'm the campus and teaching pastor here, and we're so glad that you're here. I was out last week, but love the message that Devin brought to y'all, and I've been excited to come back this week. In fact, Today we're going to talk quite a bit about anticipation, what it feels like to look forward to something. Show of hands, how many of y'all have ever looked forward to something in your life? Show of hands. Yes, anticipation, especially around the holidays. We always anticipate the headlights of family coming to see us, but then we always anticipate the taillights leaving. Amen? It's great to see family. We look forward to so many things. I remember looking forward to Christmas morning as a child looking forward to movies in the theater, looking forward to graduation. I remember looking forward to the birth of our children after nine months of waiting. We all know what it's like to anticipate something and then the joy of finally receiving it, but we also know the heartbreak of that not happening. But what you need to know as we enter into this series, Come Lord Jesus, is that our our God has made a promise. And our God is a promise maker. But our God isn't just a promise maker. He is a promise keeper, every one of them. And God promised a long time ago that he was going to restore what has been broken. If you remember, what God originally made and created was perfect. Sin hadn't affected anything, yet Adam and Eve enjoyed perfection. No death, no disease, no mosquitoes, no losses on rivalry weekend. It was perfection. They enjoyed work, but no office cubicles. It was perfection. Our, pers- our first parents enjoyed the actual presence of God. They walked with him. They talked with him. They enjoyed moments with him in the cool of the day. Until one day, Satan convinced Adam and Eve that God could no longer be trusted, and Adam and Eve sinned, and their sin caused the world to fall into destruction. So every misery, tear, evil, every tear that's ever been shed is a result of that one moment. But God said, I'm going to restore all things yet again, and we long for that day. And in our series, Come Lord Jesus, we're beginning our Advent series, and if you're New to church or new to that word, the word advent just means coming or arrival. And most often, the focus during the Christmas season is the celebration of the birth of Jesus Christ, his first coming, his first advent, when he came as a child and he grew in strength and wisdom and ultimately was crucified and buried as he bore the sins of the world. But our God is alive and the tomb is empty. Sin has been paid for, but our our world is still broken. But God made a promise to restore it, and one day... There'll be a second advent, a second coming, where Jesus will come get his church. And God will indeed make all things new. And just like for so long, people long for the first advent, they long for Jesus' coming. The church now longs for his second coming, his second advent. And so advent, this season, it's more than just celebrating the birth of Jesus. It's celebrating the truth and the promises of God. 
that one day through Christ all things will be made perfect again. That we have that hope. Even if it seems faint, and even if God at times seems distant, God, God makes promises, and God keeps promises. And I know in, in this Christmas season, across a room this size, the, the, the magic and the, the mystery of the season may be running thin. Because, hey, you know, this was supposed to be the year that, man, all the family got together. This was supposed to be the year that we got the bonus so we could get the perfect gift. This was supposed to be the year that we were able to make all the family memories that we wanted. This was supposed to be the year that we finally had the house decorated the weekend after Christmas so we could enjoy it. Listen, this season is supposed to be a season where our hearts and minds focus on our king. Regardless of what's happening in our lives and in our world, as chaotic, as troublesome, as difficult as they may be, the season is for us to remember who our king is. And to remember, this world's not all there is. And yes, Christ came and he conquered sin and death and the grave. And he left us here as lights in the world, but he's coming back to get his church. And so that's what we're going to focus on today. And for, for so long, baby Jesus exists in American Christian subculture as this kind of non-threatening mascot for the holiday season. And the only problem with that is that's, It's not the way the Bible portrays Jesus. Yes, yes, he he came as a child. He was a suffering servant. Yes, it was crucified. Yes, but, but the Bible says he's the conquering king. He's the ruling and reigning righteous judge of the universe. And so what we're gonna look at today and for the remainder of our Advent season is more of the picture of Jesus in the book of Revelation. Because quite often we think about Jesus in a cradle beneath us. But the Bible says he's a king that we kneel before. And so we're going to look at that. We're going to look at where John, think about it, was summoned into the throne room of heaven. Got to gaze upon God himself. Got to see God being worshipped as he fully deserved. And so during this season... We're looking at the picture of Christ and God through the book of Revelation as the returning king as we await him to come and get his church. And we begin today in Revelation chapter 4, verse 11. I invite you to stand out of the honor of reading God's word. I read out of the Christian Standard Bible here. There are a lot of great translations, but if you're wondering what translation we read from here, it's the CSB, and I invite you to Bring a Bible, bring, bring a tablet or a phone, something with the scriptures on it. We get into the word. We want you to see, hey, I'm not making this stuff up. This is the word of God. We want you to read it and be changed by it. And the Bible says in Revelation chapter 4, beginning in verse 1, After this, John says, I looked, and there in heaven was an open door. And the first voice that I heard was speaking to me like a trumpet and said, Come up here. And I will show you what must take place after this. And immediately I was in the spirit and there was a throne in heaven. And someone was seated on it. And the one seated there had the appearance of jasper and carnelian stone. A rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald surrounded the throne. And around the throne were 24 thrones. And on the throne sat 24 elders dressed in white clothes with golden crowns on their heads. Flashes of lightning and rumbling and peals of thunder came from the throne. Seven fiery torches were burning before 
before the throne, which were the seven spirits of God. And something like a sea of glass, similar to crystal, was also before the throne. And four living creatures covered with, the, covered with eyes in front and in back were around the throne on each side. And the first living creature was like a lion. And the second living creature was like an ox. And the third living creature had a face like a man. And the fourth living creature was like a flying eagle. And each of the four living creatures had six wings, and they were covered with eyes around and inside. And day and night, they never stopped saying, Holy, 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 Lord God, the Almighty, who was, who is, and who is to come. And whenever the living creatures gave glory, honor, and thanks to the one seated on the throne, the one who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fell down before the one seated on the throne and worshiped the one who lives forever. And they cast their crowns before the throne and say, the Lord our God, you are worthy to receive glory and honor and power because you have created all things and by your will they exist and were created day and night. They never stop saying, holy, 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 Lord God, the almighty who was, who is, and who is to come. So Lord, today we, we thank you for the picture that you gave John that we now get of you high and lifted up, exalted on your throne, worshiped for all of who you are. God, we don't want to just make room in our hearts. We want our hearts to be full of who you are. So God, invade our hearts, invade our minds, transform us by your spirit. Call those who don't believe to faith and those who do to greater faith and greater love for the one true God. In his name we pray. Everybody said? Amen. Amen. So the book of Revelation, it's a great book. A lot of imagery here you'll see today. It's written by John. And most believe that this is the disciple whom Jesus loved that you read about also in the Gospels. And John lived into his 90s. He was actually the last surviving apostle, the one who wrote about this vision. He, in fact, had probably a closer relationship with Jesus than anyone else. Jesus, in fact, entrusted his mother to John. John was also present at the Mount of Transfiguration. And now, not only to witnessing miracles of Jesus, he gets this vision of the throne room of God in the book of Revelation. And John, right now, while he writes this, is a prisoner on the Isle of Patmos because he wouldn't stop preaching that Jesus was God who came, was crucified, buried, but rose again. And Patmos was this kind of rocky, volcanic island about 30 miles off the coast of modern-day Turkey. It wasn't a big island, but it was where uh, Romans sent criminals and others that they didn't want to escape. It's kind of a lonely, desolate place where John, in this place, he's been put in prison on an island. He's lonely. And in this moment, in this place, he's summoned up into heaven to see the throne room of God. And when he goes up there, he sees God himself on his throne being worshiped as he rightly deserves. Imagine being in this moment. It's incredible. And John is trying to put words to it so let's begin and go back through and let's see at a greater depth what all John says and describes when he gazes on the throne room of God. Look at verse 1. He says, after this, well, you're thinking, after what? Well, if you look back in chapter 3, there, God is writing letters to the churches. And he's writing to them to say, hey, 
this is where you've lost your love, and this is where you need to love me differently. And he's giving instructions to the churches. So he said, after this, after the letters to the churches, after this, I looked up, and there in heaven was an open door. And the first verse that I had heard, so we'd already heard the verse, like a trumpet said, come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. So he's talking now about future things to John. And when he says, come up here, that's actually a command. So John was commanded by the voice of God to come up through the open door and come see some of the things that are going to happen. Look at verse 2. And immediately, it was a command, he didn't wait. I was in the spirit, so it wasn't a bodily form. He was transported in the spirit. And there was a throne in heaven, and someone was seated on it. Interestingly enough, when John gets up into heaven, how is God positioned on his throne? What what is the Lord doing when he gets there? What's he doing? Okay, this is the group participation part of the sermon. It's in red. What's God doing? He's sitting down. Doesn't God know that while he's sitting down, the world is falling deeper and deeper and deeper into sin? Doesn't he know that the end times are approaching? Doesn't he know that the world is in chaos and people's lives are hurting and that there are broken people and broken lives and Jesus is going to be leaving soon to get his church, that Antichrist is going to be coming on the scene? This is serious! Why, why is God sitting down? It's a critical time. God's, God's not pacing back and forth. He's not wringing his hands. He's not lying awake. He's not gathering all of the angels together for an emergency meeting. The world is a mess. What are we going to do? He's sitting down. Do you know why he's sitting down? Because he can rule the universe with his feet up. God has made promises about his plans. And no one thwarts them. God sees every intimate detail of his creation. And the Bible says Jesus holds it together by the word of his mouth. He's not all worked up over how things are going to work out because he controls them. And he's not all worked up about you because he holds you in his hands. He's the king and he's seated on his throne. As soon as John gets there, he sees the king of the universe sitting in his rightful place, ruling the universe. And look back at verse 2, because this is also interesting. And immediately, I was in the spirit, and the CSB doesn't translate it this way, but the ESV and NASB and others actually put behold instead of there. And I like that translation better. And behold is an imperative. It's, it's like a uh, command or an exclamation. Behold, John is told, almost commanded. Behold, gaze upon the throne. So think about it. He's commanded to come up into heaven, and then he's like commanded, gaze upon the throne. There's an exclamation, behold, look, soak up all that you see in all of my glory. See me for who I am and how I'm being worshipped. And then communicate it to others. Behold, he says. And then what he does after he beholds is he gives us a description of what he sees beginning in verse 3. Look at this. And he says, the one seated there had the appearance of jasper 
and a carnelian stone. And that's interesting because the great high priest of Israel always wore 12 stones. And the first stone was always jasper. And the last stone was always carnelian. So it's like God is saying, I'm the beginning and the end, the first and the last. Even the way the throne room and the jewelry is described. And a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald surrounded the throne. And around the throne were 24 thrones, and on the throne sat 24 elders dressed in white clothes with golden crowns on their heads, and flashes of lightning and rumbling and peals of thunder came from the throne. Similar experience when Jesus um, revealed himself on the Mount of Transfiguration. And seven fiery torches were burning before were burning before the throne, which are like seven spirits of God, and something like a sea of glass, similar to crystal, was also before the throne. And this isn't just poetic imagery. I mean, John is telling us what he sees. Even in heaven, a region unknown to us, somehow there in that place, the throne room is set up and designed in such a way that John, at first glance, knows who the king is and knows that there's something unique and special about this place. And I love, I love what happens next. John is trying to describe everything that he saw, and he's just mesmerized by everything that he's been describing. And it's like, uh, let me tell you about the animals. Keep reading in verse 6. And then he says, And four living creatures covered with eyes in front and in back were around the throne on each side. And the first living creature was like a lion. And the second living creature was like an ox. And the third living creature had a face like a man. And the fourth living creature was like a flying eagle. And each of the four living creatures had six wings and they were covered with eyes around and inside. And day and night, they never stopped saying, holy, 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 Lord God, the almighty who was, who is, and who is to come. There are a lot of ideas and opinions about what these animals represent and what they suggest. And that isn't going to be the focus of our time for the next few minutes. Actually, what I want us to do instead of try to talk about what they represent, I want to look at what they're saying. These angels, these creatures of some kind, I want you to look at what they're saying. Look back at verse 8, and I want you to see it's actually a song that you're seeing Look back at verse 8 and see what they're seeing. Do you recognize it? Do you see it? It begins with three words repeated in a row. Do you see it? This is what they're saying. This is what they're declaring. They're declaring holy, holy, holy. They never stop saying holy, 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 Lord God, the Almighty, who was, who is, and who is to come. So we could talk a lot about what those animals represent, but I want us to look at what they're saying what they're singing, what they never stop saying is that God is holy, holy, holy. Lord God, the Almighty, who was, who is, and who is to come. This is what they're saying. This is what they're declaring. Of all the grand things that could be sung forever in his presence, they're singing about his holiness. You know, they, they could be singing forever and ever that God is loving who wouldn't like that? I would love it. It's true. We're blessed by that. But we weren't on that committee. We didn't get opinion. They could be declaring that God is faithful. Who would complain about them declaring forever and ever that God is faithful? It's true. It's forever true. But, but that's not what they're saying. In fact, I doubt they even picked the song. I'm going to go out here on a limb and say, I bet they didn't even have autonomy. I doubt they said, hey, let's try this one. I bet he likes it. I don't think that's how it works. What has been sung 
and what will be sung for all of eternity. And the chorus that we will join into one day is about God's holiness. Holiness. It means other. It means distinct. It means separate. It means not like us. And that's good. It's good that God's not like us. It needs to take root in our heart. It's good that God's not like us. And listen, my wife loves me. I love her. She is more beautiful to me than ever before in my life. But I have disappointed her regularly. All human relationships at some point disappoint. But God is holy. He's distinct. He's other. And he doesn't disappoint because he's not like us. And when you think about holiness, don't think dry, don't think dusty, think doesn't disappoint. Because Jesus isn't some old codger, he's not a big guy upstairs. The Bible would say he displays unimaginable glory. He dwells in unapproachable light. He's a consuming fire that no one looks upon him and lives, yet that's, that's who our God is. But God somehow said, John, come up here, behold, look, and then describe. And see, throughout history, the pendulum has swung for the church. The pendulum has swung between transcendence and eminence. Transcendence meaning God is holy. He's other. He's distinct. Holy. Eminence. He walks with us. He talks with us. And it's true that God is both of those things, but the pendulum swings. And in our culture, the pendulum has swung so far towards imminence that we have created a God in our culture no one fears. And the song that they sing is about his holiness. And if you ask the thousand people, what is the number one attribute of God? What do you think people would say? What would you say? God is what? God is love. And it's true. You know what rarely makes the list? holiness but see it's God's holiness that makes his love what it is because he's distinct because he's other because he's not like us he has a perfect love and if you if you look back at this text put verse 8 back up you're going to see something very interesting look, look at the words holy 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 how many times do you see him repeated Three times. Yeah, in Hebrew, this is a superlative where repetition shows force. And in Hebrew, if you emphasize something, you're stressing the point. For instance, um, show of hands, how many of y'all had rain at your house yesterday? Yeah, it rained at my house. So if you show up today and you're like, hey, yesterday we had a storm. I'm like, ah, okay. No, wait, yesterday we had a storm, storm. I'm like, whoa, you all right? Or if yesterday you said, hey, hey, I was walking through my yard and I fell in a hole. I'm like, get over it. No, 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 I, I was walking through my yard and I fell through a hole, hole. I'm like, man, are, are you doing okay? No, no, you don't understand what I'm saying. Yesterday, I was walking through my yard and I fell through a hole, hole, hole. I'm like, call 911, this guy's hurt. So, so we need to take note that when John said, come up here and behold, and he witnesses the creatures singing and declaring Forever and ever, they're not declaring that God is holy. That's not what they're saying. And they're not declaring that God is holy, holy. No, what they've never ceased to say, and what we will continue to say with them in all of eternity, is that our God is holy, holy, holy. 
He doesn't answer us. He doesn't check things off with us. The Bible says as high as the heavens are above the earth, so are God's ways above our ways. And in this season, when we want to rightly worship the God of the universe, when the weight of that hits, hits my heart, I'm not shrunk back by that. That's the way it's supposed to be. When you realize the infinite holiness of God, and I realize, man, I, I don't measure up, but the Bible says, while I was yet a sinner, Christ died for me. And then he has a perfecting love that never lets me go. Makes me want to worship him all the more. That a holy God takes unholy people and makes them his. No one gets to stand up and say, man, I'm I'm worthy of his grace. I'm killing it. I'm a trophy. Look right here. (laughs) We don't get to do that. But we get to gaze upon the one through John's vision who is. Who's set apart. Who's holy. And then we get the opportunity in our lives to, to bow before him and, and to worship him. And that's, that's exactly what you see happen in, in verses 9 through 11. They declare it with their words, but then in their lives, they declare it as well. Look back at verse 9. And whenever the living creatures give glory, honor, and thanks to the one seated on the throne... The one who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders, fall down before the one seated on the throne and worship the one who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne and say, Our Lord and God, you are worthy to receive glory and honor and power because you have created all things and by your will they exist and were created. So they they communicate his worth with their mouths, but they communicate his worth with their lives. They they bow down and worship. And the invitation to you in this series, Come Lord Jesus, is both. We want to declare the goodness and greatness of God with our mouths, but we want the goodness and greatness of God to control our hearts and our lives. Because when the goodness and greatness of God controls our hearts, th- then we have a similar posture. We, we bow before him. We're humble before him. We give our lives to him. And we say, God, you, you're everything, and I just want to follow you. And so the invitation to you this, this season, you know, prepare for all of the things you want. Blow it out in your house. Decorate it. Go big. But don't miss the most important thing this season. And that's Jesus. That's the Holy One who sits on the throne. Who came for us the first time. And is coming back to get us a second time. While we're here, we have a mission. And while we're here, we have a purpose. And part of that is opening our lives to him. And saying, God, I want more of you. And and you, you may be wondering... Well, wait, I want to follow this Jesus. I want to follow this guy. What's he like? Well, the Bible says that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. And if you want to know what the one seated on the throne is really like, you can look at the life of Jesus. It was perfect. He loved and he served and he gave his life. And the invitation to you, church, is to follow him. And we... We want to conclude our time by giving you an opportunity to pray. 
but we want to do it as we, as we light our, our Advent candle. And if you're, you're not familiar with an Advent candle, it's, it's a traditional part of many Christian gatherings. Perhaps you have one in your home. And there are many things represented here. One, the, the circular wreath of the candle speaks of God's eternity. The, the greenery speaks of new life and everlasting life. And then the five candles are, are to be lit each Sunday leading up to Christmas. And we will light one each Sunday saving the white candle for Christmas Eve, Christ's candle. And tonight, today, we're, we're going to light the first candle, which is traditionally the candle of hope. And I said at the beginning of this sermon that, that God is a promise maker. But God is also a promise keeper. And he came for us and he bled for us and he died for us. And he left. And the reality is the world is still hurt and broken. But we have a king who's coming after us. And we have a king who holds us. And we have a king that never lets us go. And so today we light the candle of hope. And I I just want to invite you into that hope. Either Either for the first time, to place your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ, to be your Lord, to be your Savior for the first time. Or as a follower of Jesus, to to be reminded this morning that this, this is where our hope lies. Our hope lies in the one seated on the throne and his son Jesus. Amen? So here's what I want you to do before we sing this final song. I just want you to bow your heads and close your eyes. Make it a holy space for a moment. Sometimes it helps me to open my hands, point my palms to the ceiling, kind of be in a posture of receiving. And I want you to think about what do you, what do you hope for most in this moment? For those of you that that feel drawn to Jesus, that feel like God is calling you to himself, then I I would pray that you would respond by saying to Jesus, I I say no to sin and say yes to Jesus. That I believe Jesus is who he says he is, did what he said he did. And by placing my faith in him, I want to be a son or a daughter of God. Do that today and the end of the service we're going to give you an opportunity to communicate and to tell us don't leave here without celebrating the greatest day of your life but others others of you who are followers of jesus what promises of god do you need to rest in today what what hope do you need to receive from the promise making promise keeping god Jesus, we're yours. And there's no one like you. I pray that the cry of all of our hearts would be what we read, holy, holy, holy. Lord God, the Almighty who was, who is, and who is to come. We kneel before you, we worship you, we love you. God, in these final moments as we sing together, would you continue to minister to our hearts as only you can.
In Jesus' name, amen.